Hey families, your sister Jocelyn here, and welcome to another episode of Faith on the Journey. If this is your first time tuning in, we welcome you. We are so glad that you are here and want you to know that we're committed to helping you strengthen your faith, heal your heart, and discover a sense of community. And we do so through a variety of ways by connecting with a team of Christian counselors and also offering trauma healing trainings across the country. You can learn about these resources and so much more by visiting our website at faithonthejourney.org. Again, that is faithonthejourney.org. Now today, I'm very excited to interview a woman of God who has a powerful testimony, and she's done some transformative work to help save lives. We are introducing to the show Heather, who is the founder of One Her Full. She is married to Raw. She has two beautiful children with DJ and Andy, and they live in South Florida. Heather is a multiple attempt suicide survivor, and she believes if you wake up breathing, that that's God's proof that you need to keep going. And she's here to share a powerful message about her work in saving lives with us today. So I'm so excited to welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you for accepting my invitation. Of course. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here too, because we we got a message to share with our listeners today. And Mm -hmm. before we get into your work, I would love for you to start by just sharing a, a little bit about your testimony. Okay. It starts when I was eight. And at eight years old, uh, we lived on 254 South College Drive, Bowling Green, Ohio. And I um, went up to my bedroom and pulled out my little butterfly stationery. And I scribbled a letter in pen and mailed it to my grandparents. And the essence of it was that I wanted to take my life. And so um, that kind of set me on a lifelong trajectory of that being my thorn in my side or my weakness is just an ongoing, I don't want to say obsession, but just an ongoing temptation to take my life. I'm 49 now. So since I was eight, it's been 41 years of struggling with that temptation and I'm still here. And because I'm still here, I want to help other people still be here as well. That's really mind blowing for me to hear that starting so early, Heather. Did you do some work to kind of help you to discern where that desire came from for someone mm-hmm. who's unfamiliar? Can, can you kind of talk about that? Sure, sure. You know, it's it's kind of a unorthodox, unique temptation. We all we all are, have a weakness. I mean, we all struggle with something. I'm in a little bit of the <laughs> rare category and that mine is to want to kill myself. But that being said, you know, God is well aware of it. And has not kept me from finding hope and resources and help to keep going with it. And when you look at suicidology and study it as I have, it can be circumstantial, it can be chemical, or it can be both. And in my case, it would be both. So circumstances or chemical misfiring in my brain can put me into the fast lane to want to take my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you sharing, you mentioned your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious what your faith has done to sustain you as you were navigating this. Yeah. I mean, you know, I accepted Christ into my heart at four years old on Green Road in Haskins, Ohio with my dad. Um, I remember it distinctly. And I know that that he's always been in my heart ever since, you know, there have been seasons in my life in my younger years where I walked away from my faith 
but just because we walk away from God doesn't mean he walks away from us. And so he still remains steadfast in my heart, even during some years of wandering and rebellion. I think it's just very important to have Christ in your heart when you are struggling to want to live because he is the way, the truth and the life. He is life. And so when my faculties or my brain or my circumstances are being tempted toward death, I always know that there is still a fountain of life gushing inside of me. And that is him advocating for me to live. I've always had that my whole life. I don't take it for granted. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And when you are going through those moments of temptation, in addition to your faith, have there been practices that you put in place to make sure you don't move on that action or desire that is? For my unique situation, you know, I kind of have a, what I call a formula. And so my formula is sevenfold. I take medication. I see a psychologist. I attend church weekly. I journal and read my Bible together. I think journaling, that's a whole nother podcast. There's so many benefits. I exercise outside. I do, I do some kind of activity outside. I know my worth and I have boundaries. And so that's the formula that I'm sticking to because I'm, I'm still here. Now to be really practical, when there have been moments that that temptation has formulated a plan, if I have a plan, I need to call one of my three. And that's either my psychologist, my husband, or my pastor. And that's just, they know that. And I know that. So I have that accountability with them. But Reverend, I get that three, honestly, from Jesus. When Jesus had his most mentally anguishing moment, even though he had followers of thousands and he had a posse of 12, uh, he called upon three. And so I take my cues from that. That's really good advice. And I'm glad that you have your team that you can reach out to. Mm -hmm. I, I want to backtrack to what you said earlier in terms of your formula. There was a couple things that stood out. Mm -hmm. uh, first, journaling. Obviously, mm -hmm. you're a huge fan on that. I know you could probably talk about that all day, but could you uh, speak to that a little bit of why, why that's so effective? Right. I always have to take, you know, whenever I do podcasts or go and speak, if I can't back it up in the Bible, then I can't say it because I'm not people's answer. You know, it's, it's God in me. That's people's answer. So I've always got to point to him. The Bible's a journal. <laughs> I mean, that's how I perceive it. And then within the Bible being a journal, there are epic people that said, you know, write, scribe, you know, market. So there's just these little evidences woven throughout it as well that point to the idea of writing down what it is. And for me, I started journaling when I was eight years old. I don't think that's a coincidence. That's also when I had my first temptation with suicide. And I've been journaling ever since. And the way I see it is that it is a safe place to get the bad stuff that's in my mind out of my mind and put it somewhere else. Now, that's not treatment. But, you know, I can't see a psychologist every single day. And so part of my formula is at least today, Heather, purge out of your brain all that bad stuff onto paper. And I'm a tactile person. So I'm like, okay, I just got all that out on paper. It's not in my head anymore. 
now we can start the day. Very helpful. And you also talked about exercise and then boundaries. Can you speak to those two? Exercise, you know, I say that loosely. To me, it's go outside and be active. And sometimes, you know, I'm a runner. So sometimes that'll mean going for a run. Sometimes that'll mean going for a walk. And sometimes that'll mean literally using my faculties to go outside and in a tactile way, you know, put my feet on the grass or dip my toes in the pool or smell a new bloom of a magnolia or look at the breeze or feel the sun. That's really important to me because that was not put there by a a human that can be broken or hurtful. That was only put there by God. And it's very comforting. Yeah. It is oh, you, just a, a walk, seeing the, the sunrise or even sunset can do wonders for you. Uh, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I do apply that to my own life. And mm-hmm. you spoke about boundaries. I was like, mm, talk about it, sis. Yay. So you go there in terms of. Oh. Well, boundaries are, are twofold. If you are in a relationship with somebody that is mentally afflicted, I think there are two tracks of boundaries one for each person, but they're not the same. The boundaries my husband subscribes to, he simply says, it is my job to love Heather. It is God's job to save her. My husband for 41, you know, or for 22 years, there have been many times where he has come home and been afraid to go into the home and has had to take certain precautions before doing that and stuff. And I hate that, you know, I, I hate that that's been his plight, but at the end of every day, he knows it's his job to love me. He can't save me. It's, that's God's job. So that's his boundary. My boundary is I can't do what everybody else can do. And that's okay. I, I liken it to being a, in a, if I was in a wheelchair. If I was in a wheelchair, I don't think I have any less value. I, I know that Jesus thought about me too when he died on the cross. But there's just things I can't do that everybody else can do. And that's okay. You know, when you are in a, in a dark place, especially as, you know, as a pastor's wife, there are boundaries there, man. I just can't go to this event. I'm grieving the loss of my little brother and my therapy dog. And if I go to this event tonight and force myself, I'm either going to suck the life out of the room, or I'm going to have to be so much fakery on that. I'm, I'm going to hurt myself even more than I already am. That's very helpful. And so, and having an understanding of each person's boundary and respecting that is, is, is helpful as well. So thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Someone's listening right now who they're connecting with you because they've struggled with suicide for a majority of their life as well. Mm-hmm. And um, they're thinking, wait, something's just wrong with me. Why can't I shake this? You know, I have faith, but I'm still struggling with this. Uh, and especially with that faith component, I think that sometimes the church has taught people that if you have a certain level of faith, there's certain things you should not struggle with. What would you say to someone who's really been wrestling with that? Yeah, great. That's an awesome question. I would just encourage that person that the church is awesome, but it's not perfect. And again, let's go to the Bible. Did people in the Bible, God's journal to us, struggle with wanting to give up? Let me count the ways. Okay. Moses, Jonah, Elijah, the demoniac, Noah, it's not something that makes you less of a faithful person. As a matter of fact, I think you're a very strong, faithful person 
because you've had that temptation and you're still here. That message was for somebody. Yes. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> I've had the haters come out and try to call me out on my faith. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm, you know, and I, I try not to get my undies in a wad or want to punch them in the throat. You know, I try to like, <laughs> but in my heart, I have an answer and I'm confident in my answer. God included in his word, people that wanted to give up. Elijah literally said, take my life. I've had enough. Mm -hmm. So if it's in the Bible, I'm good with that. Hey family, I'm taking a quick moment to interrupt today's episode because we are witnessing another powerful woman of God doing great things for the kingdom who decided to launch her ministry. And I just wanted to give her a shout out today and say that she is not the only one who God is calling to do amazing things. And so if you are a woman of God who you know God is saying, I want to use you to change the lives of others, I need you to listen up because I started a membership community called Women in the Ministry to help sisters like you who is on mission to change lives by doing something outside of the church walls. Maybe you're called to be a Christian life coach. Maybe you're called to mentor others by starting a nonprofit. Maybe you want to be a Christian counselor. Whatever your calling is, I want to help you to reach that goal. So if you are interested in learning more about our membership community, the trainings that we offer, the events that we host, all the different things that you need to help you to get your ministry started, make your way over to womeninthemistry.com. Again, that is womeninthemistry.com for more information. Now let's get back to the show. On the other side of this, there are the people who, such as your husband, who it cares for a family member, a spouse who struggles with this. And I think we learned about boundaries. I think that was a very valuable lesson. But what other words of advice would you give someone who is in relationship with someone who struggles with this? Yeah, great question. You know, I, I know my heart really goes out to anybody listening right now that is walking in my husband's shoes. They are the loved one living with somebody mentally afflicted or tortured, you know, my heart really goes out because that is not easy. You know, wh when I'm speaking, you know, I'll, I'll tell people it's one thing to be crazy. It's another to be married to it. It's tough. And so I would say to that loved one that's living with someone that's mentally afflicted. First of all, I would say in God's story, you're quite heroic because there's a million other people he could have picked for this assignment, but he picked you. He knew you could handle it. He knew you could do it. He knew you could love somebody that presents to be unlovely many times. And so you're very special in the kingdom because you've been picked for this. The other thing I would say, just practically speaking, is read the book Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. Townsend. And the other thing I would say is consider counseling for yourself. Um, my husband is not less of a man because he's gone and sat down with a Christian therapist on how to deal with me. Uh, I think that makes him a very wise, godly, upright man that he was willing to. Listen, if my husband found out today that, you know, I had a very debilitating disease that was going to render me paralyzed, he doesn't have experience with that. He's not an expert in that. He would go and talk to somebody in the professional field of my ailment. And so I've always encouraged people like my husband, go talk to somebody that's a professional in the field of mental health. Very wise advice. And the analogy that you gave about any other ailment uh, and getting 
counsel and help. I think that makes makes it clear for people because sometimes we treat mental illness differently in terms mm -hmm. of the need to get support and help. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate yep. that. Yep. And for someone who is also grieving the loss of someone who mm. died by suicide. Yeah. There's a lot of emotions attached mm -hmm. with that. In mm -hmm. addition to the grief, mm -hmm. how have you supported people who struggle with that? And what words have you offered them? In our organization, it's probably 50, 50, the, the people that are struggling with suicide and the people that have lost someone to it. The first thing I would say is it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And if you are struggling with that guilt, or you're struggling with that regret, the whys, you just give it all to God. Just give it to God, put it in his lap, and don't carry that anymore. That is that is just not yours to carry. Um, let God duke it out with the enemy that's putting that thought in your head. It's not your fault. Um, the second thing I would say is give yourself time. And don't let anybody tell you the frame of time. You're the only one of you. And the person that you love that died by suicide is the only one of them. That is such an exclusive, unique relationship because it's duplicated nowhere else in the world. So do what you need to do time-wise to heal. And then reach out to us. We do a lot of grief life boxes for people that have lost someone to suicide. They're free, priority shipped, and we'd be happy to send you one. Well, let's talk about this. What is the life box? Talk about your organization and some of the services that you offer in addition to the life box. My organization is called Wonderful. It's a website. It's my social media. It's um, It includes me going and sharing my story and in using a lot of social media to just encourage people in the struggle. But it also includes life boxes. And a life box is like literally a life box. And what it is, is it's a box of extras and essentials that we curate ourselves by hand and priority ship for free to anybody, anywhere, going through anything because I don't want them to give up. So in the 32 months that we have been doing life boxes, we've done, I got the number today, We've done 11,626. Oh, that's to, amazing. Uh-huh. To all 50 states and like 15 countries. And the requests that come in are all over the place. And that's why I keep the vision very general. What's a life box? It's for anyone, anywhere going through anything so they won't give up. Because your reason for being, for, for wanting to give up is, is one in a million and I've seen everything, Reverend. I've seen people request a life box because they had to put their pet down and they live alone and they're feeling very suicidal. I've had, we've had a request for a life box for a young boy whose mom was planning his murder and her suicide. And we've had life box requests from military bases. We went to Uvalde, Texas after the school shooting of Rob Elementary and the school board partnered with us and wonderful set up a life box drive through in downtown Uvalde, Texas, where we drove from Florida to Texas, 700 life boxes in Spanish and English and ran out. Wow, this is God's work. And it also shows the need is great. Mm -hmm. But a gesture 
such as a life box can really be transformative for someone. It can give them just that little ray of hope that they need. Right. And so I would love to talk a little bit more about prevention methods. Yeah. Uh, so the life box is one tool, but mm-hmm. I also want someone who might be close to a friend or a relative who might be struggling with this mm-hmm. to be able to identify signs. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's really difficult. Like, so mm-hmm. are there some things that you can uh, offer for our audience to kind of help them see when someone might be struggling with this? Yeah. I mean, clinically, there are signs. Clinically, the books will say, you know, that they're exhibiting the opposite of normal behavior. So they're an extrovert. They're acting introverted. They are very active. They're becoming very docile. They love lots of things and they're giving lots of things away. They've had, they've had a painful circumstance happen, a divorce, a loss a job loss, uh, a pandemic, all the clinical signs being said, I still hear so tragically so often, they gave no sign at all. If you have a friend or a loved one and you're concerned about them, first practical tip is you need to ask them straight up and not make it flowery and not make it biblical and just, are you thinking about killing yourself? Listen, I love you. I got to ask, say it like that. You know, there's this huge misnomer out there that if we ask, it's going to put the thought in their head. And let me just say, Reverend, I've never felt loved more than my husband asking me, are you thinking about killing yourself? Do you have that thought, Heather? So I just can't encourage people enough. If you're concerned about somebody, first thing you do is ask them. If they say yes, then we need to sit down. We need to get some help right now. And you just text or call 988 and that person will speak to a trained compassionate person that'll help you learn what the next step needs to be. And then I would say to go to wonderful.com and order a life box form. That's a great two steps right there. You said yeah. text 988. That's the suicide prevention hotline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then get that life life box on the way. <laughs> yep. Yep. We do a lot of life boxes that people will indicate, you know, on the website feelings, they're feeling suicidal. So we've got all the items you need to make a life box for that. That's good. And Heather, is there any advice that you can offer those who work in a church setting around raising awareness or doing something to support this cause so we can decrease the amount of people who are dying by suicide? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I've been in ministry in the church world for 24 years. The church, I love the local church with all my heart. They're killing me, though, sometimes when it comes to this. They're killing me, man, with the suicide conversation. But I'm not bitter. I'm not mad. Um, and it's time. The one thing I would say you could do at your church is wherever there is the gathering of the flock, wherever people congregate, whether it's on the weekend during a service or in your reception area when they're coming into the church office, those two places, you need two things. You need 988 cards and you need, honestly, you need a list of local therapists. And I think if you have at least those two things, you'll save a life. That's good. I was making some notes here about that because I think just at least making an effort to raise awareness around the resources and then having them there. I always talk to churches about the importance of being proactive and having them easily available, having a plan in place mm-hmm. versus scrambling when something comes up mm-hmm. because eventually those crisis moments will happen. Right. But at least you'll be more prepared if you've already thought this through. So right. 
Right. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So Heather, any last words of advice or encouragement that you'd like to share with those who are listening today around this topic? You know, the only thing I would say to any, I, I mean, I want to speak to people that are listening and struggling, you know, cause I, you know, my heart goes out to you and I, I walk in your shoes. I'm going to tell you what I, what I have to tell myself is that God is holding the world's largest jigsaw puzzle box. And he has assembled this awesome world's biggest jigsaw puzzle with every piece being a representation of you and me. And if I were to take my life, it would remove from this masterpiece, my piece and God and you and me can't go back to the box and find a backup piece. And we can't go back to the box and find another piece and contort it to fit into the space intended for me. And so by that analogy, I understand that I am very valuable to, to humanity because I'm the only one of me. There's not a backup piece in the box. And so you and me don't have to be us. We get to be us. And when it's good, we get to be good us. And when it's bad, we get to show the world that we still get to be us because we're pushing through. Yes. Let's continue to push through. And Heather, how can we get in touch with you and support you and find out more about what you're offering? Sure. So you just go to wonderful.com. All the resources are there for help, life box requests, uh, me speaking, my story is there, uh, the donation page. Donate, yes. Um, <laughs> but most importantly, if you know anybody that needs a life box for any reason, please request one and we'll get it shipped for free. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today. I appreciate not only you being bold and, and open about your testimony, but the work that you're doing to save lives. Thank you. Keep Thank you. Thanks for believing in me and letting me speak with you. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that you take advantage of all the resources that Heather spoke about. And if you know someone who needs help, please be sure to follow the directions by texting 988 and also shipping them a life box. Let's save lives together. So that's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, you know what to do. Please leave a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. So that's it for this week, family. Until next time, you keep yourself encouraged and keep your faith on the journey. I'll see you soon, family.